This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 139. Let's get to it. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what it do btm tribe welcome to another episode another installment of the before the millions podcast i am your host deray olalaye and i'm super excited to welcome today's guest David Osborne, guys. David Osborne, the author of uh, books that we've all come to know, like, and uh, give out as gifts during this holiday season. I know I have. Uh, David Osborne is the author of Wealth Can't Wait, uh, the first book that I read by David. And it's, it's a phenomenal book. If, if you haven't read it, go pick it up now. Uh, the second book that David co-authored with uh, Hal Elrod is The Miracle Morning Millionaires. If you're looking for a morning routine to actually kickstart your day and focus your life on success, check out The Miracle Morning Millionaires. Last but not least, the third book that David authored, co-authored actually with Pat Hyben, another super successful real estate entrepreneur. Uh, if you don't know who Pat Hyben is, you need to know who Pat Hyben is. He's an author as well. He started off as an agent as well. He did really well. He actually authored a book that I just read called uh, Six Steps to Seven Figures. And David will talk about him a little bit more on the show. Actually, Pat Hyben and probably Gary Keller, the author of The One Thing, are some of David's closest friends. So uh, David is surrounding himself with people that he aspires to be like, going back to his very last book, Tribe of Millionaires. Going back to David and Pat's relationship before they were authors, before they built billion dollar businesses, they they went to a um, they went to a conference and they got paired up as accountability partners. And they've been accountability partners for the better part of 20 plus years. And you can see how because they've been able to hang with each other and learn from each other, how they both built businesses that have done billions in sales and how they're both also authors, authors of the books today that we read, we love, and we, we again, get, give out as gifts. So evidently, hanging around certain people or the right people can kind of propel where it is you're supposed to be in life. And that's the actual premise of his third book, Tribe of Millionaires. Uh, its concepts and premises are a lot of what I based the Before the Man's Mastermind on, and I resonated with the book a lot, and now I'm glad to have David back on the show because he has been on the show before. You guys just never heard that episode. Let's just say that there was some technical difficulty. But anyways, on today's show, we get a ton into David's life, how he's been able to co-author three different books, three best-selling books, and the sixth 
largest real estate brokerage in the world. They've done over 10 billion in sales. So we're going to get into how exactly he's been able to create his ultimate lifestyle design by authoring books and building businesses. If you guys have not yet subscribed to the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Oh, by the way, if you're like, man, those books all sound amazing and I'm not going to buy all those books right now. Money's kind of tight this Christmas season. I get it. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash book. And uh, that's going to send you to my Audible affiliate link where you can listen to two audiobooks for free. So you can listen to two out of three of those books and you just have to get one. But I highly recommend that you read all three. All right. Let's get to the tip of the week and then we will get to today's meat and potatoes. DeRay's tip of the week. It's been a minute, a little while since I have done any listener review shout outs. So. I'm going to do the most recent two from iTunes and the most recent two from Podbean. First listener review shout out is to Derek Swain. Derek says on iTunes that this is a great show if you're getting started in real estate. No matter what I was concerned with or worried about, there's always a show or an episode that motivated me to do what was recommended. DeRay asked the exact questions that I would ask if I were in his position. And I love getting the information that I'm looking for listening to this show. Keep spreading the love and knowledge. Thanks, DeRay. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate that review. Next review is from Retired Soldier in DEU. This review says, This podcast is informative and entertaining. The content is relatable for beginning, mid, and skilled investors such as myself. Never felt overwhelmed while listening. Also, DeRay's voice is hypnotizing, making you want to act now. Great job, sir. Well, thank you. I'd like to think that I play just some small part in motivating you to take action every day. So that one resonated with me. And those are my two reviews from iTunes. Now, the two reviews from Podbean, one is from Goss Synergy. And Goss Energy just says, thank you for the content. And then the most recent review is from Napeen. Napeen says, amen to that. Everybody needs these gems. Thank you, DeRay. And uh, Napeen attached Before the Millions episode 116 to that review. And, and that episode was about manifesting your business, manifesting your goals. So check out that episode. And if you haven't yet left a review on the show, go ahead and do so in your podcast directory, whether that's iTunes, that's Spotify, that's Podbean, that's Google Play, wherever you listen to this podcast, go ahead and leave us a rating and review. It helps way more than you know. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. The funny thing is about David and I's relationship is uh, we spoke a few few months ago, probably back in August. We both agree that it was one of the most powerful conversations by far. But let's kind of take it back in the time machine. Let's start from your earlier years. Kind of tell me what you were up to, um, what what drew you to entrepreneurship, what drew you to real estate, and kind of kind of get me started with your journey. Yeah, so it's a story of, you know, a, a strong desire for freedom, really, more than anything else. Specifically, real estate was an accident. Um, my dad was a Green Bray colonel. He was pretty tough on us. And I grew up in a very disciplined household, and I rebelled against that discipline. That caused me to have a lot of trouble in school. I tend to get thrown out. I got thrown out of three private schools. Um, ended up going to college, graduated with a 2.3 GPA, so I was a poor student. But along the way, I always liked work. I liked, I was a fast grocery bagger when I bagged groceries. I started my own lawn mowing company and mowed a bunch of lawns and made $20,000 when I was a junior in high school. 
Um, and I just had this strong craving for real estate. I went into tech sales originally out of college. So I was door to door tech sales, which is a pretty tough job. Uh, we ran off the copier salesperson, uh, manual sales manual. If anyone's seen that it's, it's pretty hardcore. Just walking into a skyscraper and going past every no solicit sign right up to the front desk. You got about a second to make that person smile with some kind of a charming comment. Like I love your dress or, you know, your hair looks really nice today. Um, and then try to say, okay, who's in charge of purchasing? Could I have an audience with them and see if I can sell them stuff? So my first job was interesting in that my manager was terrible and, uh, she eventually wanted more than just a business from me, if you can imagine. So after a year of that environment, even though I was a top salesman, most often I quit the job, my best friend in college, he, his whole family had a tradition of hitchhiking around the world. And they, um, they always did this and he'd been asking me to go and I'm like, no, man, I want to get a job. I want to go to work. But I had such a bad experience and I was one year ahead of him. So he was a, a year behind me that I went ahead and said, after having this bad experience, okay, I'll go with you. So I sold everything, quit my job. I moved home to save money. I had $10,000 I saved up and I went hitchhiking around the world for what was supposed to be one year, but stretched out to two years and three months. I came back from that. I was $1,300 in debt. My credit card was run up. My dad actually had to help me come home because I ran out of credit. So he bought me, a, he'd, he'd always said he'd buy me a one-way ticket home if I needed it. So I was lucky to have that. And um, my mom was a realtor and she said, why don't you come work for me in real estate? And I said, I don't want to go in real estate, but I'll come work for you while I look for a real job. And I got in with her on her team and uh, a buddy of mine from college, we drove and looked at houses. We had a beer after three days in a row. He buys a house. I make $5,000. I'm like, wow, this isn't so bad. Maybe real estate is a good place. And here I am 27 years later, still in real estate. I had a conversation last week with an individual. Um, his name is Maurice Philogene. And we talked about the, we see the intersection between exposure and discontentment. As a child, I was exposed to a whole lot. I traveled the world because I had, I was fortunate enough to have an entrepreneurial mom who knew that during the good times we could see the world and during the bad times we really, really locked down. And that exposure combined with my discontentment once I got to corporate America um, really, really, really had me focus and hone in on what was next for me, what I needed to change and how I needed to build a life that I ultimately wanted. I know where your exposure kind of came from, that, that two-year trip. I mean, I'm sure that that kind of just broadened your horizons to what was possible, the types of people around the world, and, and really just change your perspective on maybe what you thought your life would be moving forward. So I understand when you come back and you've just been around the world for two years. You're looking for something. I, I'm, I'm thinking you're looking for a job that gives you flexibility, but you're also looking for something to really sink your, sink your teeth into. So I want to talk about the intersection between maybe your discontentment and the exposure that you had and why you became so entrepreneurial, why you started to build a company and kind of walk me through that process. Well, like you, my mom was a huge influence in my life. She was um, a housewife for my dad in the military for, for his entire career. And then when he retired, she went to work and she got into real estate. And I think my dad always knew he had a wonderful wife, but he didn't know how good until there was an economic measure on her output because she made more money within a couple of years annually than he'd ever made in one year. And I think eventually probably made more money in 10 years in her career than he'd made in 30 years in his um, to his credit, he adjusted really well from being the colonel to being Althea's husband. He did a good job of that. He never gave up his manhood or any of that, but he for sure would help and support around the house. And he, he, he transitioned really well. He was super proud of her, and I admire him for that. Some guys, some guys are crazy. They don't like it when their wife makes more than them. I'm always like, man, I'd love it if my wife made more than me. It'd be awesome, but some guys struggle with that, but my dad didn't. Um, 
you know, I was also raised in Germany and England. So keep in mind, I'm a military family. So my dad was based in Germany and England. And, and you see immigrants coming over to America and crushing it on a regular basis. And I think I'm an American, but I'm partial immigrant because I was raised 13 years overseas. My mom's a Brit. And um, you just don't realize what you have over here until you've lived in Germany and England. And you realize like in Germany uh, or let's say England. So the England has the tax rate like we do of 50 percent. Well, it's higher than ours. But it starts at like $70,000. Like, so if you're making 70 grand, you're paying 50% to the government. There's more social services, sure, but it's, and then there's 18% value added tax on all the, uh, all the stuff. So they make less money and everything's more expensive. It's just crazy over in wow. most parts of the world. Um, and then hitchhiking around the world, for sure. What the part I didn't tell you about my story is when I first got back, I went back into high tech sales and I got a job with Nobel Systems. And as I was filling out the paperwork, one of the forms was, if I thought of anything, dreamed of anything, created anything while I worked for them, even if it was on my own time. Like literally if I had a dream and I created a product based on that dream, they would own the intellectual property. And, and I was filling out, I'd gone through all these interviews and I filled out and I was filling out this form and I just turned to the guy, I took the form to my manager, the guy that hired me and I said, look, I can't work under these conditions. I've been hitchhiking around for two years. The idea that you're going to own me is not acceptable to me. So I quit my job before I even got it. Wow. And I felt liberated for like 12 hours or so. And then I woke up the next morning and I realized like, I'm still dead broke. I don't have a job. And that's why I went to work for my mom. So that was kind of, you talked about how your viewpoint changes. I couldn't conceive of somebody owning my intellectual property, um, even though I didn't have any. So it was just kind of dumb in a way. But um, yeah, and then I think adventures just show you possibilities, right? So one thing I learned about hitchhiking around the world on 20 bucks a day is you can have as much fun being dirt poor at 20 bucks a day. Of course, knowing I had a mom and dad to come home to, so I'm not in any way comparing myself to people that are just born dirt poor, but I didn't really have any money. At 20 bucks a day is $7,000 a year. That's not a lot by anybody, but I still had an amazing time. We would camp, we would beg, you know, we'd meet people who would let us come stay in their houses, do our laundry, feed us a good meal. We'd hitchhike on, we'd hitchhike in the back of trucks with crazy people in cars and buses that had holes in the floor that we, I got one that we got on the bus, we passed, there were seats right up at the front. We didn't know why. This was like somewhere in uh, uh, Zambia. And we were just like, oh, cool, front row seats. And we, we could see through the floor to the ground below. We sat there and we immediately both fell asleep. And then we got to our stop and the bus driver woke us up. And what we realized is the exhaust fumes were just coming right oh, through that man. hole. And that's why no one was in those seats. And we both immediately passed out. If the guy hadn't woken us up, we'd have probably ridden the bus to wherever it was going. Wow. But he was kind enough to wake us up. So... I mean, all kinds of crazy experiences and you just realize money isn't that important, right? It's important, especially when you don't have any, but if you have resources and tools, it's way more important. And so to this day, I still do an adventure vacation every year. And the reason I do that is to get those new resources and those new ideas and new perspectives and do things that scare me a little bit, like whitewater rafting down the Grand Canyon or mountain biking down the Downeyville downhill, even though I'm not a very good down mountain biker. And I do stuff like that. I put myself out there all the time to bring back those resources. Because when you when you put yourself out there, you realize there's a lot more to life than just the nine to five and watching football on Sunday and having a safe bubble of an environment. So yeah, for sure. All of that makes you not fit in anybody's box. And when you can't fit in anybody's box, the best thing is to create your own box. And that's why I became an entrepreneur. Walk us up until the point where you, in your business, where you decided to write your first book and, and why you decided to write that book. Yeah, so I started off as an agent. I sold for three years. I was lucky enough to be at Keller Williams, which is a fast-growing company. And after three years of selling, one day I was driving down the street saying the same thing to the same person on the third, you know, third client, exact same script. And I'm like, man, this is I could be a robot. I don't know why I'd be a human. 
I, 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 the company was expanding at the time. Now there's nothing wrong with scripts and dialogues. Don't get me wrong, but there's a saying that I've always loved that hard work isn't enough because ants work hard and they're still ants. And my point from that was I was working then, you know, 80, 90 hours a week and I was making good money, but I couldn't see an end that I wanted to live with. Like the destiny of being a top salesperson was more money, more transactions, more work, maybe having a team. Uh, at the time, the company was growing really fast and they gave me an opportunity to go open franchises in Dallas. So again, using mom's money because I didn't have very much. And by the way, we didn't have much either. We were the middle of the middle class. Now I realized, again, I'm not stupid. I had a lot of privilege being the middle of the middle class. Um, my folks were obsessed with education, even though I didn't take it that seriously. They put me through college, whatever. So, you know, back then, by the way, University of Texas was $2,000 a semester. That's a whole other subject. Why is college <laughs> so expensive? So anyway, so I go start opening franchises and that's where I built my passive income or my financial success. It was a lot of work, but today it's more uh, passive because I have an incredible partner I'm in business with that runs it. Um, then my dad got sick with cancer. So it's 2006. I've been running and gunning and working and, you know, just driving my life as hard as I could. Um, and then my dad got cancer and uh, I just moved back to Austin to take a high paying job with corporate, the, the headquarters of Keller Williams. Um, when he got cancer, pretty soon I realized this was probably going to kill him. You know, he didn't realize it for a while. It, it took three years to kill him. It was he fought hard, um, but it was a bad lung cancer that kind of spread through his body. And, it, and it, when it got really bad in like 2008, I just kind of took time off. I was, you know, for me, that's only working 20 hours a week. I wasn't not working, but it was way, way less than the 50, 60 I'd been doing. I'd come down from 80, 90 to 50, 60. And then I cut it down that last year. And uh, I was sitting beside him and I realized he was going to die, you know, and I was like, wow, how sad he's going to die. And he's going to take all these stories with him because my dad was a really good storyteller. And um, yeah, so I just thought, well, what if I died? You know, what would I leave behind? And I realized I, I had a lot of ideas in my head and, and I didn't have stories like he did. I wasn't as funny as he was, but I have a lot of business success. So that was the birth of Wealth Can't Wait. And that's why that book is my deepest love and was the hardest book I've ever written. It took me seven years to finish it. Wow. What's the underlying message in Wealth Can't Wait? Yeah, Wealth Can't Wait should have been five books, really. But the idea is how to build wealth. Um, you know, wealth is first and foremost a choice. That's our part one of the book. So it's, it's the choice. It's then the mindset. It's then the tools. It's then the, the strategies and the, and, the, and the leverage of how to build a great business. And the last one is to how to stay at the top once you've built something. Uh, so it's really a book in five sections. Each book could have been its own book. Wealth is a choice first and foremost, because if you don't choose it, you won't get it. And just like if you chose to be healthy, you would know what to do. Most people know how to build wealth. And that is that, you know, you would go around the outside of the store, eat fruits, vegetables, work out, you know, get some rest and all the rest of it. And the wealth's the same way, right? So then it's okay. So now I've made the choice. What's the mindset I have to have? Like, don't be a victim. You know, get, don't don't have a pity party. You can have a pity party, but make sure you end it pretty quickly. Um, you know, surround yourself with amazing people. Seek out mentors. Listen to podcasts like this one. Uh, go to masterminds. That's that's the process. Like, once you've made the choice, you actually change more from the outside in than the inside out. And what I mean by that is, you make the choice. I want to be successful. I want to be wealthy. And then the outside in stuff is the podcast you listen to and the stuff you put into your brain to clean out all the old stuff, the books you read, and then the people you hang out with. And those will determine your success way more than anything you physically personally could do. One of the first exercises that the, um, the individual and in the tribe of millionaires primary. Ethan. Ethan. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the things that he did, or I think uh, it was uh, S had him do. So was it Simon uh, that yeah. Simon had him do 
was uh, write down the names of the top 10 people he hung around with. He was kind of wondering, well, why am I doing this? And the way you, you guys kind of describe it in the book makes you kind of visually think about it when you write down those people. And then he's like, well, even if you don't know how much they make, just write down what you think they make. Like, you know, get a really good estimate on what you think they make. And then write down as well what you think you make. And then go back to that list of 10 people and add it up and divide it by 10. And um, Ethan was super shocked at how close, you know, the, the amount of money that he made per year was to the, uh, the medium amount that, that the entire group was making. And yeah. then he did the same exercise with, with even even like exercising, right? Even like his um, how much he weighed and phys- being physically fit. And you just saw pattern after pattern. Well, does the chicken come before the egg? You know, is it the fact that he hangs around these people? That's why he makes what he makes. Or does he make what he makes so he feels comfortable hanging with people who make around the same amount of money that he makes? And, you know, I think just kind of going back to the premise of the book is like, hey, like your tribe and, you know, again, the Before the Millions, like the people here, this audience, we call, we are tribe members as well. So we call each other a tribe. It's the Before the Millions tribe. So I love the wording that you use, you know, was, was more of a tribal thing because at the end of the day, your tribe, the people that you hang around, like this is what determines not even just success, but how you think, how you operate, everything that you do in life. Going back to wealth can't wait. One of the last points that you made when it comes to you choosing wealth um, was the people that you surround yourself with. Like you said, not everybody comes from a, a privileged background. There are people who are less fortunate or are in less fortunate situations. Uh, there may be people listening to the podcast right now. They're like, David Dre, like, you know, I want to surround myself. Like I've, I've written down a list of, you know, five or 10 people that I hang out with that I know that I'm not, I'm not achieving my highest potential. What can I do or how do I even begin this process of being around the right people? What do you have to say to those people? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you do is you go join a mastermind or go to Tony Robbins or, you know, I used to, Jim Rohn was my favorite growing up, but he's passed on now. You just, um, just go to some of the events where the people that want to aspire are. And in, in the aspirational class, let's say there's, you know, 300 million Americans and maybe 30 million are aspirational, let's say 10%, right? And then inside of that, you got contenders and pretenders and showboats and, and, and subtly successful guys. You got like the whole realm, uh, but you want to go to the watering hole where they go, right? And the reason I found Tony Robbins so useful early in my career is I used to feel like I procrastinated and I wasn't focused and I had negative doubt and self-talk like that. And I think Tony's program is really good. But there are others too. I'm just going to use Tony as an example. It doesn't really matter where you go because the, the language of success is all the same and successful people have learned it. That's why I can have a brother from another mother who's also successful. And when we get on a panel together, it sounds like we're like we've grown up together thinking the same thoughts, but we haven't met before. And the reason is you go through suffering and pain to become successful. And when you get to the other side, you've figured out what works. So, you know, like what works is, um, you know, hire, slow, fire, fast is one of the things they say, right? So when you're first in the business, it's hard to fire people. You're like, this is a human. They've got a livelihood. But then when somebody like, not only do they fail, but they start undermining you and being negative about you and talking crap about you behind your back, you realize, oh, I should have fired that guy a year ago. Uh, he wasn't the right fit for me. And you begin to understand that when people are in the wrong spot, you're actually doing them a disservice by keeping them stuck in the wrong spot. You're better off to cut them out, let them go free so they can find a place where they shine because they're near, clearly not shining with you. That's just an example of one of the many, many lessons you you learn. So we see, we sing these same songs. So if you haven't got that crew, then you need to go plug into Tony Robbins or one of the mass trainers because there's a lot of aspiring people there and you want to be around aspiring people. If nothing else, that gives you energy 
And then you want to hire around the smart aspiring people because there's a lot of dumb aspiring people too. And smart aspiring people are the ones that are learning based. They're open to new ideas. They don't think they know it all already. They don't need to showboat. They don't need to show off that they're the greatest things since sliced bread. They come in humble and ready to learn because you can learn from everybody. You can learn from the janitor. You can learn from the CEO. There's so much to learn all the time. Some of it's what to do. Some of it's what not to do. But you want to come in humble and open to learning. And then you'll have to filter through that crowd to find those that are authentically looking to learn. And then I encourage you to get into a smaller mastermind like the one you offer at Before the Millions, maybe what we offer at Tribe of Millionaires. Or There's so many more out there. All Marcus, Joe Polish. There's like a million of them. They're all probably really good for you. Uh, I was at one called by Fred Gross, who for six years out of eight early on in my career, and it was a smaller mastermind. And I got tremendous value out of that. But the knowledge is all out there. And, and we'll, we'll all have lived a certain vibration or frequency to get to the level of success we have. And um, you've just got to pick up on that vibration. Think of it as there's a vibration of in society that leads to success. And if you harmonize with that vibration, you will be successful. That's it. It's that simple. It's super tragic that poor people stay in like poverty consciousness. Um, there's certainly a, a certain amount of that vibration you get access because your parents pushed you through education or pushed you through things. Um, so yeah, there's for sure a, a dis unequal opportunity in society. But even then, if you're the poorest person, but you kind of harmonize yourself towards that vibration of success, which is taking action, being responsible, working hard, being, doing a good job, you will end up rising. There's just, it's impossible not to. Um, but very few people choose to do it. Even people born in like great situations don't do it. Um, you know, I know a bunch of people that are have every reason to be successful, maybe even some family members of mine that are just like so into victim consciousness and how hard life's been for them. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like you've had a blessed life. I know it's been emotionally damaging. I know that the divorce was hard on you, but for crying out loud, some people, you know, they got to eat like ramen every day for like their entire childhood, maybe get beat by their dads every day, maybe not even have a dad. So, you know, there's so many like nuances in life, but if you get locked in on, on the victim conscious, you're a hundred percent responsible for everything. However you act, not what was done to you, but whatever your choices are going forward from whatever happened to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm currently reading a book by Deepak Chopra that's called The uh, the Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And that's kind of how that, what that book is predicated on. So I love that that idea and that concept, and I truly, truly believe it. Um, you had this concept, though, in your book, uh, Tribe of Millionaires, where you're, a lot of the things that we're talking about masterminding, I think that um, that Ethan, um, he was he was at his first mastermind. He was in his first hot seat. We talked about this last night in my mastermind group where Ethan was like, they were like, hey, okay, what, what's going on in your business? What's wrong in your business? And he, you know, he was timid. He was shy. He was scared to kind of share. And eventually he, he just kind of blurted out, everything's going wrong. <laughs> you know, everything's not working. They probed a little bit more uh, just to understand, again, this is the, what happens in real life masterminds. They probe a little bit more to understand the situation. Everybody has a different background. Everybody has a different opinion. Everybody has a different experience. Everybody's in a different place in life. So there's obviously a ton of different ideas flowing in each person's mind as Ethan is talking. Um, so then it sounds like the, the, the groups of the, or the tribe, uh, the tribe in itself, it kind of disperses into smaller groups. And those smaller groups are now talking about the problem that Ethan is facing. They're brainstorming. And David, as you and I talk and we and we we talk off of each other, we're having ideas and thoughts and feelings and emotions that were based off of the last thing one of us said to the other one. So we're having new thoughts. We're having new ideas. There's something new that I want to say. There's something new that you want to say. So we're so so again together. 
you know, we're creating a conversation, a dialogue that wouldn't have happened if we weren't together. Like I couldn't have this type of dialogue with myself. Like I wouldn't give the type of response you would give. So you see, you know, you're illustrating in that in those groups that all these people are having their ideas. And, you know, Ethan gets, when he's like, you know, Simon, what's going on? Like, why is nobody telling me their ideas? And you were, he was just like, wait, wait, wait. Like they're, they're coming up with the best possible ideas in each group so that they can present one, two, or maybe three really good ideas to you. And that's what ended up happening because again, your tribe, these people who have different experiences are all successful, right? But they've had many different experiences. They're able to kind of speak your language, right? Ethan was like, I don't think they will understand. Like it takes me 10 years for me to explain this to my wife, but you guys are picking this up in like 30 seconds, you know? So it was just really showing how powerful it can be to surround yourself with the right people. Back in March of 2018, I think we had on uh, Diego Corzo, and he's in, I think he's in your tribe as well. So I wanted, yeah. he's told his story on the podcast. So we have a hundred episodes later, guys. Uh, looks like David is going to be episode 139. So a hundred episodes later, I want to hear uh, Diego's story from your perspective, because I know he was also illustrated in that book as well. I heard it the other day. Well, you know, in, in, Think, in Think and Grow Rich, he talks about how the power of a mastermind, and if you have two or more people together, there's like a multiplication effect, right? So if you have three people discussing an idea, you have like 10 times the power of just one person wrestling with something because there's like a, there's a geometric uh, accelerant on, 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 the, on the quality of the ideas. So we do a lot of that. It's super fun to see how the breakthroughs people will have and how stuck we can be on our own individual journeys when we don't share. We think, well, I got to figure this out. I'm the one. I'm going to be the only guy. But that's not really how life works. The more you open up and the more you have the right people in your life, the more they can help you grow. Diego to me is, you know, he's an amazing kid. I'm just so in love with that kid. He, he, uh, he's a dreamer. So he, he comes here to when he's eight years old. Imagine this, you grow up your whole time here. Like who remembers when they were eight? I barely remember anything from being eight. I mean, he spends his entire time in the United States. He graduates high school. And I think he goes to college and he starts working on his college. And they're like, hey, can we see your driver's license or something? He's like, oh yeah, I'll find it. I get it. So he, I don't know if he'd finished college or what, but he eventually finds out that he doesn't have a driver's license or doesn't have a social security number, isn't an American citizen, even though he's been here since he was eight. And uh, he's been through the entire school system, but he can't work because he has no social security system. So the way he figures out around that is he creates an LLC and he rents himself to GM through the LLC so he can pay taxes legally. Wow. He can't get a driver's license, so he bicycles to work. Now, this is all in his early 20s. Um, then he gets into real estate and, he's, and he gets, you know, I think I met him, I don't know, it was a long time ago. Um, maybe seven years ago or something. And he starts investing in real estate and pretty soon the kid's financially free. So he's, and by financially free, we define that as you have more income coming in from passive than you need to live. His living expenses are extremely low. No kids, just a single young kid. So, you know, I think he was making four or $5,000 a month passive. And he did that by acquiring, um, I want to say was a multi in the te in the teens, in the yeah. units. Yep. And then just really low end ones too, a lot of $50,000 ones that rent for $800 a month, et cetera. And uh, today he's, I think he's still in his twenties and he's almost worth a million bucks and he's, um, and he's got passive income that exceeds his needs to live. And I mean, think about that, like think about that story, right? He also had a stutter as a kid. So he come, overcomes lack of citizenship. Um, I think he's from Peru uh, you know, language issues is he's got a still a slight bit of an accent. Not, not much. He's obviously fluent in English, used to stutter, didn't have a social security card. And yet he figured all that out to become financially free. So he's like the poster child of what's possible. He had every reason 
to think he couldn't do it, but he's done it. You're 100% right. And, and even his story is, is a remarkable one. Guys, again, go back then and listen to episode uh, 39 or episode 40, episode 40 of the Before the Man's podcast. And uh, that's my interview with Diego. And ever since then, he's been a member of the tribe. He's been in our Facebook group. He's been active and um, kind of helping others as well, kind of progress through their journey. So I appreciate him as well. David, let, let, let's move on and let's talk about, let's talk about your lifestyle design. I know that today you've Again, you, you've built companies and you have the ultimate lifestyle design that you've always wanted. Now we can kind of go back to Miracle Morning Millionaires and your part in that and why you think it's important for us to first and foremost know what we want out of life, know how we want our lifestyle to be designed, and then do things like, you know, having a Miracle Morning every single morning to make sure that we ultimately get there. Well, it's been a, it's an ongoing part of the journey, right? So you get better and better. Like there's two things, we, we've heard of, all heard of a vicious cycle and a vicious cycle is like, life's going okay, your wife divorces you, it costs you half your assets, then you get sick or something and you, or you, you're, you know, you, you lose more money because you've been sick or, and then your life just kind of goes downhill, right? We've all heard of that story. That's called a vicious cycle, but there's also a virtuous cycle. And if you get hooked into a virtuous cycle, it's about life getting like incrementally better every week, every month, every year. Sure, there's still ups and downs, but maybe you learn a little bit more. You listen to a couple podcasts, you find a good friend who's successful, you find a mentor that's successful, you start getting a little bit of success in sales, and then you start getting a little success through real estate investing. And all of that compounds and all of a sudden your life becomes magnificent. That's certainly been my journey. So I, it didn't start off that way. There was pain, there was challenge, there was difficulty, uh, but it's been a virtuous cycle that now I'm heavily on the virtuous cycle loop. So there's a lot of good things happening for me on a regular basis. Um, you win the morning to win the day. That's the bottom line. Even if you, you we talked about the vibration of success, if you're in negative doubt and lack all the time, you're really pulling yourself down that vibration. If you spend an hour in the morning visualizing success, meditating on success, uh, affirming yourself as successful, reading a book, listening to a podcast, what have you, doing a little bit of exercise, even if it's only the seven-minute workout or whatever, um, you will you will elevate your vibration. That's really what you're trying to do, right? So, you know, for me, I've... I, if I could go back to my younger self, when I used to think I was cool, I was a dork, but I thought maybe I could be cool. And I used to party and go out with the people that went out. I regret all that today. Not in a bad way. Like I was fun. It was my twenties. It was what you're supposed to do in your twenties. And it's supposed to, you know, I probably did it in my thirties too. It's what you're maybe not supposed to do in your thirties, but the reality now at my age of 52, like I go out, but not very often. Mostly I'm up early five, five thirty. I get that quiet time in the morning. My wife's usually asleep beside me. So I'll do three of the steps there, silence, affirmations, and meditation or prayer. A lot of times I just drop into prayer because I still struggle with meditation. Affirmations is like, today's going to be an amazing day. I'll be a great husband, great father, great businessman. Uh, visualization, if I have a big appointment, I'll usually see myself walking into that appointment. If it's in a room, I know I'll visualize the room and just see it going incredibly well. See me walking out with abundance and success. And uh, I just do all that to set up my day. Like I think it's, there's an energy in it and there's an energetic uh, projection you can push through your day that brings you positive energy. Um, so that's my morning. Then I go to my library usually and I sit there and I read. Um, I only just got a library this year, which I've always wanted. And now I have one at 52. I'm super stoked about it. So I sit in my window chair in the library. I read, I journal. Uh, one thing I've noticed about successful people is they're super purposeful. Like you want to be successful, Doray, just be massively purposeful. And I've developed that from a procrastinating youth, you know, who felt like I didn't have focus and felt like I was a bit ADD to even where I was called by one guy, a rocket ship without a pilot. Um, so I had a lot of energy, but no focus. 
to today I'm laser like focus. And the reason I'm laser like focus is I'm very clear on my goals and I'll hold up for your camera. Like that's my, that's my goal plan. The yellow highlighted ones are completed. So I'm only looking at my white ones at the moment. What kind of, what kind of journal is that? What kind of book is that? Uh, I change journals all the time. This is actually the bullet journal from the atomic habits guy. I thought I'd give it a try. Normally I use slightly smaller journals. How do you uh, this one? Uh, I like it. I mean, I like them all, but this one has some tools that I haven't fully used yet. It's got a way to create new habits in the back. Um, and I tried it, but I failed on keeping up with it. <laughs> I procrastinated or whatever. I have my system where, which works pretty good for me. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that it's got dots so I can draw diagrams and stuff on it. So it's kind of interesting. It doesn't have lines. It just has like grid dots. Oh yeah. yeah I like that. I like that. Is that a 90 day journal? No, this is, I use this for a year. I mean, it's about 200 pages, but I also have a work journal. So I have a work journal here and then I have a personal journal here. Got it, got it, got These are the two things you'll see me hoisting around with me everywhere I go. So now that we're at the end of the year, David, how do you plan for 2020? There's the beginning of it. I'm already doing it, right? I'm not a hypocrite. So there you can see my 2020 journal ideas. A lot of them are carryovers. So I work out 240 times a year. So I just carry that over. Um, some people don't have to score that one. They're just natural worker outers, but I wasn't, I wasn't an athlete or anything like that. So, but I love it. I absolutely love it. A hundred Peloton. I added one this year. I want to buy a sauna. So I put, do a sauna 50 times. I got a lot of studies around the health benefits of a sauna, um, read 40 books. That's a carryover from every year. I used to do one Epic family vacation every year. This year I've changed to two Epic family vacations where we go to the grand Canyon or we do something impressive, go to, you know, Disneyland or something like that. Um, those are all kind of repeats, non repeats would be, um, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to try a hundred days vegetarian next year. I haven't done that before, but I'm trying to back off the meat. The first time this year I did a hundred days, no alcohol. I'm going to try to up that to 150 days, no alcohol next year. And again, I, what I was talking about earlier when I was young and I drank too much and I did try to stay up with the people like that was just dumb. In hindsight, I didn't really enjoy it as much as I think I, as I thought at the time. I was kind of trying to find something, status or being important or a, a tribe, maybe fellowship. And none of that really is legit. It's not like authentic. Like I got more, I got more fellowship now with people that are family people. I got kids. They've got kids. We're trying to raise our kids in the correct environment and, and through the tribe than I ever had back then. So Again, I don't regret it because you have to do the wrong thing to learn the right thing. But today I'm much more focused on my life, my purpose, my family. Um, and so that would mean, you know, going through that morning routine, doing some exercise. I'm into the Peloton now. I don't, the, the commercial didn't tick me off. So I do the <laughs> Peloton. Um, giving away a certain amount of money is very important to me. Random acts of kindness are very important to me. I do random stuff. Like the other day, I just bought a girl coffee at a coffee shop in London. And she literally said to me, like, I was, there's only three of us, my wife and I and her in the coffee shop. So uh, uh, as I went to pay, I'm like, I'll pay for hers too. And she's like, well, that's so nice. I had such a bad morning and you just switched the energy of the day. So even though it's only like a $5 coffee, which isn't a significant amount, the act of doing it, you know, that girl had had a bad day and now she has, it's plused it, right? Like five Mm -hmm. bucks makes, she's a winner from whatever had made her, I think it was traffic or something getting to work in the morning. So, um, and all of that goes back to energy, generosity. I think generosity creates a higher vibration. Yes, I think yes. service creates a higher vibration. So all you're trying to do is elevate your vibration to elevate your life. But so I'm setting, so I go to a, a nice coffee shop. I take my journal and I just start free flowing ideas. What do I want to do in 2020? How cool 2020 is like perfect vision. And it's the year that's about to come up. And I, and I start scribbling and I'm doing it all the time. In fact, I thought of one the other day. Um, it's here which is, yeah, just to go to uh, 
50 of my, I haven't decided on the number yet of my daughter's events. Cause I noticed like, she's not a great athlete. She's not a bad athlete. She plays tennis. You know, we ski together, but I went to one of her tennis classes, which her mom normally does. And she like won uh, with amongst these kids, like on three courts out of, then she got knocked off, but she hadn't done that before. And I was watching and paying attention, telling her to watch her feet. Cause she, you know, if she falls into la la land, she's 10 years old. And I just thought, and then I had to leave a half hour before the class ended. And then she told me when you left, I kind of went bad again. And I think there's like a, such a strong message in there for what it means to be a dad. I need to make more of an effort. I thought, well, mom's going, we're good. We have representation, but I think I need to go. Cause I talked to her more. Mom just sits there and says, great shot, mom, Bella. I'm like, watch your feet, watch your feet. Think about your feet. Just think, and I'm very friendly about it. I'm not trying to be one of those overbearing dads. Like I'm not trying to be a butthead, but yeah. um, so that was one that struck me was, Hey, go to, go to Bella's all, you know, like her events, like show up more. And I'm kind of embarrassed. I hadn't thought of that before. Um, I thought you had to go to the big events when they're in a tournament or something, but actually I, I think I should go to all the little events too. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to increase that a bunch. And then another one is to putt 50 times. Like I, I love golf. That's one of my things. It's a stupid, ho- none of your listeners should take up golf. It's a terrible hobby, but I'm addicted. <laughs> so I thought, okay, what if I putt a hundred times, a hundred days? Like that would probably make me a better putter. Right. So so that's one of my goals next year is to have a hundred days where I put, and I've gotten really good at like striking things off Roman numeral style when I'm, when I'm tracking my goals. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's it. It's just like, I'm, I'm super stoked about my year because I've developed over 27 years, this accountability and transparency around my goals. And that's what we do a lot of in the tribe as well. I've gotten to where I get a lot of my goals done. When I started, I probably got 20, 30% done. But now I'm at like 70, 80, maybe even some years, 85% of my goals. So, so I know if I write down 20 really cool things, I'm going to get 16 of them. That's super inspiring, right? Because of years of discipline and years of application. So I'm, I, when I'm creating in creation mode, I'm super excited. And you know what? It's because I got that time back that I used to spend going out and drinking and thinking I was being cool and doing all kinds of stupid stuff that really didn't serve me. I got all that time back. I wake up more rested because now I'm going to bed at 9.30 to 10.30, somewhere in there. So I've just got, it's opened up so much more opportunity for me to create what I want with my family and my friends and my relationships and contributions. So yeah, I'm just a huge believer of setting goals and, and winners are, I mean, people winning in life are usually purposeful. There's a saying, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And you're like, well, that's you know, counterintuitive. If they're busy, why would you give them something else to do? And the reason is busy people have figured out a productivity system where they get stuff done. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I've got that going and I, I could fit all kinds of stuff in and, and I'm stoked to continue to develop that sort of purposeful way of living on the game plan and only choosing things that inspire me because things that inspire me also give me energy, right? So if something's dead to me, I just cross it off. My goals, my goal setting is not a prison. It's a living, breathing document. If something doesn't work for me and I can tell, I just cross it off. But what's not okay is to have something on there that you said you were going to do and then just not do it all year. Cause then you're really just telling your inner self not to take yourself seriously. So my goals are an engaged living constitutional document with myself. Tell, tell me, tell me about how you met Pat Hyben. Yeah. So in this seminar I was telling you about early on where there was 30 people, I'd gone to the Tony Robbins. I'd learned to like transform the negative into the positive and all that stuff and uh, walked on a fire. And then I, I looked for a smaller group and I met this coach, a rabbi guy um, called Dr. Fred Gross. And he was, he'd been a rabbi, he was a psychiatrist and he was now a business coach. And um, he said in that group, find one guy in this room and you're gonna hold that guy accountable and he'll find one person and he, you're gonna hold him accountable for the, for the length of this, co- you know, the seminar, this uh, 
mastermind, which was one year at a time. I did it for six of eight years. So I looked across the room and I saw a young man. He and I were the youngest two in the group. So I just kind of gave him the man nod. He gave me the man nod. And we became brothers and we started holding each other accountable. And I was super lucky because he was like the number one Remax agent in the country, the number one Keller Williams agent after he joined Keller Williams. And um, he was just really locked into accountability. And we held each other accountable for years and years and years. And our relationship was not one built on a friendship. It was built on accountability that became a friendship. So he's now one of the closest people to me in the world. But we probably wouldn't have been friends if we hadn't met in this environment. He's like a frat boy. I'm kind of a dork. You know, he was um, he was from a different environment, just like drink beer, crush it. I'm a wine drinker. He's a beer drinker. So all these differences. Um, but one thing we both had was a hunger for success and a hunger for things to be different. And um, we held each other accountable for many years. And I was super lucky that he also has like a twisted idea of accountability. He loves to kick you in the teeth when you don't say you, when you fail, fall, fall short, he's hard on you, which is what this relationship was about. An accountability partner is not someone that just says, oh, that's okay. I know you didn't do what you said you're going to do. It'll be fine. You'll do it next time. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy that say, hey, you're going to be a loser. You're going to be a winner. If you're going to do what you say you're going to do, you're going to win. If you don't do what you said you're going to do, you're going to lose. What's your choice? Right now, you're acting like a loser. What's your choice? Like, that's what you need. You need somebody who kicks you in the butt a little bit. They say a coach is somebody who makes you do what you don't want to do so you can become who you do want to become. And Pat was that for me for years. And I think about, you know, your your six effects that you guys have, and you just covered like three of them, right? Like he was your accountability partner. You have the accountability effect where like your responsibility to others is the world's most powerful force. You have the authenticity effect, which is again, him being real, like you being real, being like, hey, like this is what you said you were gonna do, not go do it. You have the influence effect, which again, your destiny is shaped by those around you. And then you have these other three effects. And I wanna talk about those. What is the multiplier effect? So the multiplier effect is what we talked about. When you do a mastermind, if there's like three guys giving you ideas and thinking through your business plan, you get 10x the value of those three people. So because they all come from different perspectives and business is fundamentally the same. You have clients that create revenue for you that you have to serve and take care of. And then you have to manage a process and a leverage system that enables you to make a profit based on the service to those clients. I mean, that's almost every business ever. And, um, so even though they may not know your particular business, the multiplication effect is, oh, that guy's really good at hiring. That guy's really good at managing a budget and a P&L. And if you don't have either of those, boom, you get both of them and your business multiplies. I love that. I love that. What about the purpose effect? Yeah, the purpose effect is simply that, you know, if you're around, you, you must become purposeful. That's it. That's the number one thing. And so if you're around, well, how, what's the best way to become purposeful? You'd say, oh, well, read my goals, study my goals. Yeah, all of that helps. But the number one way to become more purposeful is to hang around with purposeful people. And then it becomes like this positive food feedback. If no one has goals and dreams, if you live with people in an environment where no one has dreams, the chance of you having dreams is extremely low. If you're, if it's just normal for you to be around people that are like, yeah, here's my dream. My dream is hundred million in net worth, give away 50 million, be financially free by the time I'm 30. If everyone around you has dreams, the odds are you're going to have a dream and a goal and a purpose. So the purpose effect is how, we use purpose to pull ourselves into a brighter future. I love that. And last but not least, the connection effect. Your life will be measured by the quality of your relationships. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a group called Tiger 21. It's a high net worth investing group. It's 30 grand a year to be a part of it. And um, you have to have a certain net worth to get in it. And uh, I mean, I'm just looking. For, so what's great about that group is not that we're just a bunch of rich, rich stiffs like meeting to learn about life is that when they go to raise money from that group, it's impactful. Like we raised, what was it? 
$4 million in Dallas in one weekend to build a, you know, a, a giant like after school program for this, for this high school that had troubled kids, you know, and it, it's just like astonishing when you have the right relationships and the right connections and you deepen those relationships and you, you get authentic with them. You know, the payoff is huge. It's like I said, with my daughter, like just pouring into my daughter. Now I don't get a second chance at that. And my son who's three, um, and then just making sure you have real authentic relationships. Cause at the end of the day, when you're at your funeral, the acquaintances aren't going to be there. It's the authentic relationships with people you built. And, and those people will care about you based on the direct correlation of, you know, the impact you've had on them in their lives. You are listening to the before the millions. Before the millions podcast. Hey, real quick, if you're a real estate entrepreneur and you're looking to leave your W-2 day job within the next one or two years and you're interested in a mastermind, especially going into the next quarter, going into 2020, uh, and you want to learn a little bit more about my mastermind, first and foremost, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash mastermind, and then get on my calendar, and we can talk about what my mastermind entails, and we'll see if you're a good fit together. That's over at beforethemillions.com forward slash mastermind. There's an AM group and there's a PM group, and we meet every single week on Mondays by way of a video conferencing Zoom call. So it doesn't matter where you are. So if you want to start the next quarter on the right foot and have a group of accountability partners that hold you accountable for your business goals, for your life goals, for your family goals, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash mastermind. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? As a man thinketh is the one that I built my life on, and then Think and Grow Rich, which are two classics. I love them. Love them both. Uh, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Yeah, Google Drive for me. Like I have uh, all my assets on Google Drive. I can look at them at any time. I can look at my bank accounts. They get updated once a week. Um, and the Google Drive is my favorite app. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I have time. I have time. I got, I got my time back. Um, so yeah, I, I used to work, 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 work and did years in 10. And today I have space in my calendar. I try to keep Monday light and only work a half day Friday. And then I build in time for working out and stuff like that. I love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? My, I had to sacrifice myself, man. I mean, like the biggest change I made was killing the parts of me that didn't fit and, and birthing a new me. Um, and that was being born again in a way. And that was a very painful process. I had an identity crisis at 30. Um, I had another bunch of cha- challenges at 41. Um, and that identity crisis of just killing that which you do that doesn't serve you. One of them being this idea that I need to go out with all the guys and drink and pay the bar tab and be somebody important was an example, but there was way more layers than that. One of them was doing everything equally, you know, trying to like build the cubicles as well as recruit the talent. Like I didn't know how to prioritize, um, understanding that you have to get out of the way of success and let it come through you. You are not the vessel. You're, you, you're not, you, you're the bow and you might be the arrow, but you're not the archer. There's something bigger than you. If you'll just allow, if you get out of the way and allow it to come through you, uh, you'll achieve a higher level of vibration, a higher level of success. So all these things, I, I guess the biggest sacrifice I made was parts of me that had to go. When you became an author, 
Like, how did you know that this was for you? How did you know to become an author? Was it something that you've always saw signs of when, when you were a kid? Or did you just kind of stumble upon being an author? Like, how did that come about? I always wanted to, um, when I was a kid, I thought I'd be a sci-fi writer. So I used to read a lot of books. Um, that dream died along the way uh, because I got so into business and so practical. And then I just came full circle back to it. I always thought I'd want to leave something behind me. I just, it was kind of a shadow idea. And then again, when my dad was dying, I was, I, it kind of hammered home. Um, by the way, the second book was way easier. It took me seven months and that's because I hired an incredible ghostwriter instead of seven years. And it, and it, you know, it, it's amazing how much easier it is when you have the right team in place. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Gary Keller has probably been the number one influence in my life from Keller Williams. And that's because he is relentlessly, relentlessly focused on being better, personal development, um, you know, expanding your life, your business, your goals, everything. So the, the number one outside of my mom and dad, of course, and my, but the direct relationships I had, it would be Gary Keller. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Because you're not born as the person you need to be to get to where you need to go. We are all born with blockages and dumb ideas and stupidity and things we have to work through. And so we get stuck in that. And if you'll just keep moving forward and never quit on yourself and listen to the tapes and listen to the books and allow yourself to change, allow what doesn't work to let go, to be shed and hold on to what does work. Um, you will be like a sculptor sculpting themselves. You'll be like that guy carving himself out of stone. And if you'll allow that to occur, uh, your life will change. But the blockages are all of our, in my opinion, of all of our own creation. When I look back at when I was stuck or when I was in a dark night of the soul, which I've had plenty, um, it was always because I was looking at the world wrong, not because the world was wrong. I love that. I love that so much. That is perspective. Uh, David, this has been a phenomenal, phenomenal podcast interview. If any of the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, get connected with you, where can they find some of your information? Go to davidosborne.com uh, or follow me on I am David Osborne or go to Tribe of Millionaires. You can get the book for free at tribeofmillionaires.com. I highly, highly recommend that you pick up that book. Uh, again, it's a, it's a book that I recently read. I read it on Sunday, actually, because my mastermind member recommended it to me on Saturday. And he was like, we got to talk about this Monday. We have so many ideas in here. So guys, go pick up that book ASAP. David, I love it. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks, Dre.